Episode 61, Balaam, Diviner or Prophet? After their victories over King Og and Shion, the Israelites would camp in the plains of Moab. This would cause fear in the Moabite king, so he would call in for a little help. The man he would call is Balaam. Who in the history books is Balaam? Welcome to the History of the Bible. In the last episode, we looked at the possible answer to the question of why the Lord wanted to kill all of the Canaanites. We discovered that the Canaanites held a position within the ancient world and had cultural, financial, and religious influence. What the Lord may have been doing when the Israelites were called to kill all of the Canaanites was to set the Israelites up as a light to the rest of the nations one that would show the world a path to a relationship with the one true God, just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Now, to get back to the journey of the Israelites, the last time we left the Israelites, they had just defeated two Amorite kings, Shion and Og. It isn't completely sure about Shion, but Og is believed to have been a giant that ruled over 60 cities and the surrounding villages of those cities. This king had some power and resources to throw into his battle. But it was never the intention of the Israelites to conquer these two kings in the battle. When the Israelites got to the border of these kings' lands, messengers were sent to ask for permission to cross through, because the Israelites were still not in the promised land yet. They were on the east side of the Jordan Valley. The promised land began on the west side of the Jordan. When the messengers were sent, the kings responded by gathering all their armies together to come against the Israelites. This is where the Israelis are currently. They have just defeated two kings and their armies. With that done, the Israelites camped in the plains of Moab. The plains of Moab was a stretch of land that sat between the Jordan River in the west and the Transjordan Highlands in the east, although some believe it to be on the west side of the Jordan River, but that would mean that they had already crossed into the Promised Land, which they had not. The Israelites crossing over the Jordan had not yet happened, therefore it would mean that they were camped on the east side of the river. It would be from this location that the campaign for the Promised Land would begin. However, before the Israelites would go into the land, they ran into some trouble with the Moabites. It was after defeating the two kings that the Israelites would move into and camp in the plains of Moab. Even though they had already gone around the land of the Moabites, the leaders of Moab got a little nervous with the Israelites being so close. You see, the Moabites were just defeated by Shion, to which they lost the northern part of their territory, and the Israelites just utterly defeated that king. The Moabites were a little afraid that they might be next in line to be destroyed. So much so that the Moabites expressed their concern to the elders of Midian. This would cause the Midianites and Moabites to ally with one another to protect themselves from the Israelites. Real quick, 
The Midianites would be the descendants of Abraham and his second wife. They had a son together that would be named Midian. Midian would also be the land that Moses would run to through escaping Egypt. It is here that he would settle down for 40 years, get married, and have kids. It isn't sure why the Midianites would ally with the Moabites, especially since Moses' father-in-law and brother-in-law were of Midianite descent. The Midianites lived in the land under Egyptian domain on the Arabian Peninsula. This would have been the territory that the Israelites just wandered around in for 40 years. At this time, though, most likely the Mennonites were still nomadic tribes, and that is why the king of Moab reached out to the elders of the Midianites because they were still tribal in their societal structure of leadership. Therefore, it could have been that not all of the tribes of Midian joined in the alliance with Moab. The ones that were related to Moses may have stayed out. However, as a reference point, this is where the relationship between Israel and Midian begins to fall apart. It says in Numbers 22 verse 4 that Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at the time. Balaam lived near the Euphrates River in the north in the land called Pethor. Pethor is believed to be about 400 miles away from the Moabites and their territory. Where Balaam is from, it has been discovered that other people practice the same line of work that Balaam did. This means that Balaam's reputation had traveled far and above those in his profession. But who is Balaam? that the king of Moab and the elders of the Midianites would reach out to him. Maybe the task that they were asking Balaam would help explain a little bit more about the man. When the messengers were sent up to Balaam from Balak and the elders of Midian, they informed Balaam of the situation at hand. Numbers 22 verses 5 and 6 says, A people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. The messengers went up to Balaam, and it says in verse 7 that they had the payment required for divination. These were not just any ordinary messengers, though. These were the elders of Moab and Midian. Both unite to convince Balaam to come down with them to curse the Israelites. When they reached Balaam, they gave him the message from the king. Balaam replied to them by inviting them to stay the night until he had heard from the Lord about what to do. That night, the Lord came to Balaam and told him that he was not allowed to go back with the men of Moab and Midian to curse the Israelites, because they were already blessed people. The next morning, Balaam got up and told the men that he was not allowed to go with them, because the Lord had refused it. So the elders of Moab and Midian left and went back to inform the king, Balak, that Balaam refused to come with them. Balaam was not willing to let this go like that, though. 
he knew that he faced a people group that was very capable of destroying his nation. He also knew Balaam's reputation, and that if he cursed the Israelites, that Balak would more than likely be able to destroy the Israelites. So Balak tried again. This time he would send more men from Midian and Moab, not just elders this time, but princes too, all men of high honor. Also, the former elders that went were replaced with more honorable elders. Now it needs to be remembered that the journey between the two locations was around 400 miles in travel. That would mean that one way would take about 27 days to travel, and then it would take another 27 days to go back. This was not a small group of people either. Often, when noblemen and men of honor traveled, incredibly long distances with money, they would travel with an armed guard to protect themselves from groups of raiders. So this isn't a group of a couple of guys heading to Balaam to have a little talk. They had the king's escort. When the elders and princes got to Balaam, they told him that if he were to come with them, he would be bestowed with great honor from Balak the king. Again. Balaam told the men to stay the night, but he informed them that even if Balak gave him the king's palace full of silver and gold, Balaam could not go against the command of the Lord. During the night, the Lord came to Balaam and told him that it was okay for Balaam to go with the men of Midian and Moab back to the land of Moab, with the condition that Balaam only spoke what the Lord gave him to say. So the next morning, Balaam saddled his donkey, got his two servants, and began the journey back to the land of Moab with the elders and princes. Thus far in the story with Balaam, one wouldn't think much of the man and what he does. He simply hires himself out to bring divination to people. He knew and spoke with the Lord, the God of the Israelites. But it was on this journey back to the king of Moab that things, well, they began to change, and we see Balaam's true colors. On the journey back to Balak, the king of Moab, it says in Numbers 22, verse 22, that the Lord's anger was kindled because of Balaam going. Because Balaam went with the elders and princes, the Lord sent an angel to stand in the way, quite literally in the way. With Balaam riding his donkey, the donkey, on its own, would turn off the road and go into the field. So Balaam would hit the donkey to get her to go back onto the road. Later down the road, the donkey would again veer off the road, and instead of into the field, it was right into a wall, smashing Balaam's foot between the donkey and the wall. So again, Balaam hit the donkey to get her back onto the road. As they continued, the donkey, instead of going off the road this time, in a narrow place on the road, it would just lie down in the middle of the road, refusing to go forward. This picked Balaam off, so much so that he would grab his walking staff and begin to beat the donkey. This is when the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey so that she could speak to Balaam in his own language. Yes. The donkey spoke. The first things that the donkey said were, What have I done to you 
that you have struck me these three times. Balaam, believing he was in the right and with no surprise of his animal talking to him, replied saying that because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Balaam is very upset because the donkey misbehaved three times in front of some very important men. Feeling that because of his donkey, Balaam's reputation had been destroyed. But the conversation between the man and his beast of burden doesn't stop there. The donkey replied to Balaam saying, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? To this, Balaam could only say no. The Lord would then open the eyes of Balaam, be able to see what the donkey had been able to see the whole time. Before them on the path was the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn, ready to be used. Most likely, this angel of the Lord was Jesus before Jesus came to earth as a baby. The reason that it could be Jesus is that Balaam immediately falls to the ground and bows down to the angel of the Lord. Angels don't accept worship, but Jesus does. The angel of the Lord told Balaam that if it wasn't for the donkey turning aside and stopping those three times, he would have killed Balaam. To this, Balaam repented, realizing that he had sin and coming, and asked if he should go back, instead of continuing the journey with the Mennonites and the Moabite noblemen. But the Lord tells him to go ahead and to continue his journey. Once Balaam was to arrive, though, he was only allowed to speak what the Lord gave him. Before we continue with Balaam and his journey to Balak and the land of Moab, we're going to talk about Balaam and Balak. We now know a little bit about the man from the event of Balak inviting Balaam down to curse the Israelites because Balak was afraid of them. But does that mean that Balaam was a false prophet? Did he only speak on behalf of the god Yahweh? Was Yahweh the one of the many gods he spoke for? Did the man practice witchcraft, or was it legit the things that he brought through divination? When Balaam got to the land of Moab, the king came to meet him, a sign of great honor. Balak, the king of Moab, would take Balaam to the top of a hill that overlooked a portion of the Israelites. Here. Balak asked Balaam to give a word, hoping that it would be a curse against Balak's enemies. On top of that hill, Balaam had seven altars built. One bull and one ram were sacrificed on each altar. Then the Lord spoke to Balaam, giving him the first oracle or prophetic word. When Balaam gave the word, the king of Moab realized that Balaam didn't curse the Israelites, but instead he blessed them. Balaam simply replied that he was only able to say what the Lord has given him. Balak is a persistent man though, so he takes Balaam to another location that overlooks the Israelites. Seven altars are built and again a bull and a ram offered on each altar. Balaam would receive another word from the Lord, and this word 
Balaam specifically says that he was told to bless the Israelites because the Lord has blessed them, and Balaam cannot revoke what God has said. This word discourages Balak to a point Balak tells Balaam to not curse the Israelites, nor bless them. Don't say anything about them. Balaam reminds the king that he is only able to say the things that the Lord has given him. But Balak is not yet through with trying. The king takes Balaam to another place, again, that overlooks the Israelites. Seven more altars were built, and a bull and a ram were offered on each altar. By the third time, Balaam knew that the Lord was only going to bless the Israelites and not curse them. So the Spirit of God came upon him, and Balaam blessed Israel to become a prosperous nation, one that is like a tree planted by the river. Balaam wouldn't stop there, though. He would give a fourth word right after the third word. This one describes how the Israelites will destroy the surrounding nation, starting with the two kings that they had already destroyed. The other nations that will fall will be the Midianites and the Moabites. This word just about pushed the king over the edge. Here he was bringing Balaam to curse the Israelites, but instead he blessed them. Blessed them to the point that they will destroy Balak's people. One would think that after the first time, Balak would have understood that Balaam was only going to do what the Lord had told him to say. But Balak kept bringing Balaam to higher points in the topography where offerings were made. In Balak's mind and the religious society in and around the land of Canaan, the higher the point a person offers sacrifices, the more favor they would have with the deity. That is why Balak keeps bringing Balaam to points that overlook the Israelites. Now we know the story of Balaam in the Bible, but who is he? Based on the story that we just went through, the man seems to only listen to the Lord and does what he says. Seems to be like a decent guy. Based on other books of the Bible, Joshua and Nehemiah, it paints Balaam in a very much negative light. In those other books, it claims that Balaam had no intent on blessing Israel. In reality, he wanted to curse them, just like the king of Moab had hired him to do. Because if he did curse them, he would gain great riches. The New Testament compares those who live sinful lives to Balaam. In 2 Peter 2, verse 15, it says that those who have gone astray have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14, it calls out one of the churches that it is addressing as tolerating the teachings of Balaam. What were those teachings? He taught Balak how to bring the ruin of Israel. By showing the Moabites to introduce the eating of food offered to idols and committing sexual sins. But it was the Lord that stopped Balaam from doing the curse. That is why three times the angel of the Lord was going to kill Balaam on the road, if it weren't for the donkey moving out of the way. It isn't until Numbers chapter 31 
that we see why Balaam is painted in a negative light in the rest of the Bible. In verses 8 and 16 of chapter 31, it says that Balaam is killed with the enemies of Israel. It also says that Balaam gave some advice to the king of Moab. This advice is a way to bring down the Israelites. But what was Balaam? Was he a prophet or a diviner? Was he a friend of Israel or was he an enemy? When we hear the word prophet, it most often is correlated to the Israelites or Hebrew prophets from the Bible. In the ancient world, there were many prophetic figures that all functioned differently than Israel's prophets. In the story of Balaam, there are two different types of ways that divine information was received. One way was during the night when the Lord just spoke to Balaam about whether or not he should go with the elders. The other way was Balaam had sacrifices made and the Lord spoke to him after or through the sacrifices. However, in the typical sense, the actions of Balaam's were more than just the prophet. Often, the Israelite prophets would just hear the word of the Lord and speak it, just like Moses did. But because Balaam offered sacrifices to hear the voice of the Lord, it is believed that he is a diviner. Divination is really about reading signs to help determine the will of the gods. There are other means to do this, but often in and around the land of Canaan, divination was done through the reading of the sacrificed animal organs. If Balaam was a diviner, then why would he receive the word of the Lord without making any animal sacrifices? It could have been that Balaam did receive animal organs to get the word of the Lord in the first place. In Numbers 22 verse 7, it says in the English translation that the elders of Moab and the Midianites came with their divination fee in their hand. What they believe that this verse should be translated is that they came with divination in their hand, not just the fee. This would mean that Balak, the king of Moab, already tried doing this divination, but didn't like what he saw, or wanted clarification, and so he had it sent to Balaam for reading. Therefore, when Balaam first received the divination from Balak, he read that he would not be able to do what the elders were asking of him, curse the Israelites. This is why he told the elders that he would not be able to go beyond what the Lord had given him. It wasn't that Balaam was loyal to the God of the Israelites or Yahweh. No, he read the divination and saw that the Israelites were already blessed and that he could not do anything beyond what he saw in the organs of the animals. That is why when Balaam ends up making the journey down to Balak, the angel of the Lord was on the road waiting to kill him because Balaam wanted to see if he could change the will of the gods and get them to curse the Israelites. When Balaam finally gets to Balak, Balak takes Balaam to different locations to view the Israelites. When he takes them to the different locations, Balaam makes 14 sacrifices at each place. For divination to work, 
The one doing it must be in sight of the people so that they can come in contact with the people's deity. And the animals sacrificed were used to please the gods to get them to curse the Israelites, as well as to get divination from their organs. So when Balaam reads the divination from the animal organs, Yahweh spoke through them and showed Balaam that the Israelites were already blessed and could not be cursed. Balaam was only allowed in his profession to give the reading of what he saw. Balaam was never an ally of Israel. He was a man that made a living off of divination, and he was good at it. The man had no loyalty to Yahweh, but worked with all the gods and goddesses of different cultures. The story in Numbers 22 through 24 isn't trying to portray the man to be a good man, but simply tells the story as it happened. Yet this is why the rest of the Bible negatively portrays him, because he was ultimately a seer for the gods, wanting to gain money and riches through divination for kings and noblemen. This was who Balaam was. Even though the story in Numbers often portrays a man as a follower of the one true God, Yahweh, he isn't. He is a seer for any deity that a king or nobleman would hire him to hear. However, just because Balaam wasn't able to curse the Israelites, he still gave a word of advice to Balak on how he could bring about the destruction of Israel. So join us next time in episode 62, The Enticement of Midian, as we'll begin to see Balaam's advice work almost instantly. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, and worthwhile.